Welcome back into Thimbleberry U. I am John Jagier, joined as always by Amy Walls from Thimbleberry Financial. Amy, good to be back with you. Jag, it is great to be talking to you today. I'm excited about our topic. So am I. One of the reasons I really enjoy doing the show with you is that we don't always talk about dollars and cents. We talk about the behavioral side, and yes, it all relates to money, but we branch out a little bit because I think this can be useful to our listeners, including today's topic, which uh, my antennae went up when I saw it, and that is decision fatigue. Talk to me a little bit about the impact of decision fatigue. Yes. First, you know, this is something that we are hearing more and more impacting our clients. It was interesting because at the beginning of the pandemic, people actually felt like it got better. Really? It was when we were isolated. And here in the Pacific Northwest, we were homebound for a lot longer than other places. With that said, there were less choices about where should I go? What should I do? Who should I hang out with? Because it was just being at home. And clients were actually expressing at first, that that simplicity of life was bringing them peace. Not to choose what restaurant to go to. Exactly. And we had a whole podcast episode about that. I think it was the good side of COVID. Basically, as things opened up more and clients started traveling more in the summer, and especially this year, I started to see that fatigue increase. And it's gotten to a whole different level. Now, I am not a doctor. I don't play one on this podcast or anywhere else. (laughs) Um, And so I can't diagnose it. But what it seems to me to be is that mental overload that is decision fatigue. And it's now because they're still balancing all of the results of the pandemic and what work became like and the changes that happened there. And they're trying to do all the things that were normal beforehand. And so they actually ended up with more on their plate. So the impact of decision fatigue really is being in a state of mental overload that increases anxiety, Yeah, uh, sometimes can make it hard to make good decisions. With this topic, which I've actually read about at many different times and and tried to learn about, I found an article from the AMA, Mm -hmm. American Medical Association, from November 19, 2021. It's part of an episode in a series called What Doctors Wish Patients Knew. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Lisa McLean, who's a psychiatrist and chief wellness officer at Henry Ford Health System, shared some of her thoughts. That's right here in my neck of the woods in Metro Detroit. I'm curious to hear what she had to say. Yeah. So some of what was in there, I've definitely read other places, but I thought she did a really great job talking about this. Um, One thing to note is that adults make approximately 35,000 decisions per day. Wow. Not all of them are conscious. Okay. Okay. Uh, That's good for us, I think. Yeah. But one of the things that Dr. McLean talked about is that when the brain is overloaded, and obviously that's a lot of decisions, the brain looks for shortcuts to bypass that decision-making. And as a result, you really get four symptoms of this mental overload or decision fatigue. One of them is procrastination. So putting off decision-making. Kick that can down the road, yep. Yep. Impulsivity, doing something rashly. I'm not going to think about this decision. I'm just going to go do it, okay. Exactly. Avoidance. Fingers in your ears, okay, yep. Exactly, burying your head in the sand. And then indecision, actually sitting there going, but I can't make a decision and telling yourself that and just letting it eat you up. Yeah, that really sounds like uh, spot on. I'm, I'm, I, I, as the kids say, I feel seen. Amy, <laughs> how does this relate to people's money? You know, more and more we're hearing our clients talk about things that make 
me think they are experiencing this. And as an advisor and what I hope is a friend to most of our clients, I want them to be making the best decision for themselves. And if we know that people in overload are not making the best decisions, then I would love for people to have strategies to combat that so that they can make better decisions for themselves. Okay, fair enough. So how do our listeners combat decision fatigue? Before we go into that, let me share that Dr. McLean shared that fatigue gets worse throughout the day. And I think that goes without saying we've probably all experienced that as we get tired. It's harder to make those decisions. So it's best to make big decisions in the morning before you're worn down. I like that a lot. I'm sure decision number 34,000 is a lot harder than decision number 100 as we work our way through the day. And even having these devices in our hands, you know, at four or five o'clock in the afternoon, a text comes through. You have to make a decision. Do I respond to that or do I wait? Or phone rings. Do I answer that? Do I wait? Uh, notification from any app. Do I open that? Do I wait? So there's so many of them. And then that just, the weight of it just piles on throughout the day. That makes a lot of things. I know when I sit down at my desk in the morning, that's when I'm my most productive because I haven't had to make all the decisions all day. I'm, I'm writing emails that require a lot of thought. I'm editing podcasts that need a lot of work. I do that first when I'm fresh before I've been weighed down by everything all day. That makes a ton of sense. Yep. That's how I organize my day. I get up and often before I even get showered, I hit my desk and I start working through the thoughtful work, the decision-making work, the questions my team has, you know, evaluating things for clients that need to be done so that I'm not trying to do that after three or four appointments and have made lots of decisions. Agreed. So your question, though, was what are some of the ways to combat fatigue? And, uh, you know, funny, my team knew we were talking about this and provided me with a list of their ideas, thinking it might be helpful. So some of these are mine. Some of these are theirs. Some of these also came from Dr. McLean and other things that I've read. One of the first ones, um, and I'm a big categorizer, is to make decisions reoccurring. For example, if you have a group of friends you get together with every so often, instead of it coming up, you know, once a month. Hey, where do you guys want to meet this Saturday? Are we still meeting on Saturday? It's just, hey, guys, we get together on the third Saturday of the month. And let's just always pick one coffee shop so nobody has to think about it. Oh, I love that. So much easier. <laughs> and I've found in my life for things like that, the get together actually happens more frequently. Because you're not expending the energy to figure out who, what, when, and where. Yeah, exactly. Um, another way to make something reoccurring, and this might be a little boring, especially for our foodies, and I know a lot of our clients are foodies, is meal planning. I may have talked about this before. I'm a bit of a, a geek. Uh, <laughs> I think it's fair to call myself that. I could not handle the conversation about deciding what's for dinner. Ugh. I couldn't handle it. My husband couldn't handle it. And I couldn't handle the figuring out who's going grocery shopping and what we needed. So I have a winter and summer four-week rotation okay. <laughs> of meals, dinners. It took me a little time to do, but gosh, it felt good. Four-week rotation, we know what we're eating, and it ties to the ingredients needed for each of the recipes. So let's say Tuesday night, we actually have something we know we're going to go out for dinner. Cool. We've got the list right there of what was on Tuesday, so all the other numbers can change because we're not doing it. And so we can just literally pull out the list and be like, done. That is amazing. Probably the biggest, um, I don't even call it a fight, uh, debate in my marriage is relates to both of these. It's where do you want to go to eat tonight or 
what are we having for dinner tonight? And, you know, I admit my wife does most of the cooking, um, but Saturday morning, she's like, okay, let's do the grocery list for the week. What do you want to eat this week? And it drives her crazy, but I'll say, I don't know, whatever. And she'll say, you're, I can see your, your rage building because you're relating to this. I can see your face right now. But whatever you want to do. And we end up eating the same, you know, five or six things and maybe seven or eight if we're feeling frisky and have more time to plan dinner. But I love that idea. Four-week rotations. Now you're talking, figuring going out to eat 20, 25 different things. And boy, that would be a big help. And I may suggest that to her afterwards so she doesn't kill me in my sleep. I'll even share one of my spreadsheets. Ah. Yeah, no, in, in our house... I have a bunch of food allergies. I eat paleo. Mm-hmm. My husband is from Texas and likes his meat. <laughs> My son is pretty much a vegetarian and also won't eat beans. Hmm. And so I will eat beans, paleo plus beans. And so it is tricky to find things our whole yeah. family can eat. Usually we say three of us will eat together and the fourth person eats something different. Okay. But this definitely like helps us know that we've chosen the things we can all eat and gotten them into the mix. Mm -hmm. Another thing around decisions reoccurring is clothing choices. So we all know Steve Jobs and he wore the same thing. Uh, Maybe you don't want to wear exactly the same thing, but decide at the beginning of the week what you're wearing or wear something similar. So Jag often when we're recording, I'm in a sweatshirt. Mm -hmm. Hey, everybody. I'm human. I wear a hoodie as much as I can. And um One of the things that I've found, especially now that I'm really working from home most of the time, is I need to get out and get a walk-in in in between appointments. So I have embraced the upper wear and lower wear. And most days I've got workout pants on and then an appropriate upper attire. And if I need to run for a walk, I can go change my shirt really quick and go on that walk if I think I'm going to get sweaty and come back and be okay for my next appointments. and you know, just switch my shirt back. I work from home as well. For anybody working from home, getting out and going for a walk, like for me, I've mentioned this before, I walk my dog every morning and it gets me set for the day. Getting outside the house and and resetting your brain is so important. And yeah, I definitely go through a lot more laundry lately. If I'm going for, if I get a good lather going, walking the dog for three, four miles, then I got to change again. But it makes sense to have the stuff. And full disclosure, you're in a hoodie. I'm in, you know, uh, Costco's (laughs) finest right now. So it probably looks like a pajama shirt. It's not, but it's just, you know, whatever I found for, Leisure wear at Costco, because that's the beauty of a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so meal, clothing, what else? Yeah. Well, I think you just touched on another kind of group is easy to overlook items. The daily routines. Daily routines keep you from needing to make decisions. Yeah. Right. You set the alarm and you get up. Now, full and fair disclosure, at times I'm better about this than others. This morning, I wasn't great about it. Um, I do eat the same breakfast every morning. Me too. I happen to have a specific smoothie that I love. And that's my breakfast. So knowing for you, you get up, you take the dog for a walk. That's you do it more than Ellen does. Um, It's not a question of who's going to do this today and each of you thinking the other. It's just I get up and I walk the dog. Yeah. That's part of that daily routine. You don't have to think about it. Mm -hmm. And it saves on decision fatigue. Um, Another thing is grouping decision making. So I thought this was brilliant. One of my team members shared that she keeps a list of all of her bigger decisions, Mm -hmm. things about housing, money, kids, life. And she sets aside time in her calendar specifically to think through those things and come to a decision. Okay. And she clears her calendar of all other things to give herself the mental space to focus 
And then as a result of that, she feels better about what she's decided and doesn't second guess what her decisions are. You know, the parallel that comes to mind when you say that, Amy, is people who delegate an hour of their day to catch up on their email. Because when your brain switches between different uh, modes, like, okay, I'm I'm working on a podcast, I'm recording a podcast, I'm editing a podcast, email pops in and I'm so guilty of just dropping what I'm doing and responding to the email. If you can focus your brain, like you said, grouping those decisions together, okay, this is the period I'm going to focus on those big decisions. This is the period I'm going to spend on my email. This is the period I'm going to spend recording. This is the time I'm going to spend editing podcasts. It's going to be way easier on your brain than all of a sudden these decisions come through when you've got to make a decision when you were in a completely different zone doing something else. Absolutely. I don't know the source of this statistic, but I've heard it several times, is that if you get pulled out of doing something into something else, it takes 26 minutes on average for you to be able to get back into the thing you were working on. I totally buy that. Yeah, absolutely. Another one is to delegate. So earlier we talked about the get together with friends. Hey, coworkers, you pick the lunch spot. Yeah. I'm out. Now, I think the hard part about this one is when they kick it back to you. So that's why I if it's reoccurring, would choose a set spot. Hire someone else to help. So obviously with financial decisions, that can be a financial advisor. Uh, I'd be remiss in a podcast to not say that. (laughs) But also you mentioned Costco. With my four-week rotation of meal planning, it rolls up into a grocery list from our neighborhood grocery store as well as a Costco list. Mm -hmm. So I have a Costco list and I pay a friend to go do our Costco shopping. Now, people might say, well, there's Instacart. A lot of the Costco things I've found, like they, at least we buy, I can't get on the Instacart. So she does my Costco shopping when she does her own. It saves me time. It saves us money. And it saves a lot of energy. And I literally, when I get a text, hey, I'm going Costco, I print out the list. I go look in the pantry. I cross off what we don't need. And then I send her the list. It's funny you say that Ellen has delegated the Costco runs to me, which is fine because she has a lot less flexible schedule than I do. So I do the Costco run. You having somebody do it for you, I can almost guarantee is saving you money because when I walk around Costco and I see all the things and I'm like, ooh, that looks tasty. I think I'll try that. Oh, that's another 20 bucks. That's another 30 bucks. That's another 20 bucks. So I kind of joke that Ellen has to pay her tax uh, of sending me to Costco because I end up spending more money than we should. So you're smart to have somebody else going to that store for you because it's dangerous. We have been doing this for about a year and a half, two years now, and our Costco bills are half to a third of what they are when we go. Wow. Okay. It's a lifesaver. (laughs) So as you said, Amy, we'd be remiss if we didn't hit the financial part of this in a financial podcast, but what financial decisions should I prioritize based on the stage of life that I'm in? And should they be different from someone in different stages of life? For example, I'm 41 years old. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think there definitely are differences financially. You know, you're you're mid-career. Yeah. So, you know, if you had kids, Jag, I'd say that you are probably looking at retirement versus college funding versus expense creep. Mm-hmm. Not having the kiddos, the potential of mid-career, your income's going up. And if you've got your retirement savings happening, What easily happens is, hey, I'm doing well in retirement. I just got this pay raise and expenses start to go up and proportions don't save. So I think their indecision making, right, and not delaying is to have a plan for where these next dollars go and to be thinking, if I get extra money, part of it does need to go to savings for other goals like retirement. uh, And I need to be watching to make sure I don't just let my expenses go up. So 
there's still decisions to be made in there. But I think if you were to focus, that's probably the place to be. Other people in different places, you know, someone in their early career with small kids at home, it may be more important to focus on childcare costs and student loans than their retirement savings. Mm-hmm. Or maybe doing a little bit retirement of savings to do those other things. Someone close to retirement, it may be the difference between saving more for retirement. Yeah, I call that the dotting I's and crossing T's versus paying off the mortgage. Mm -hmm. If someone's already retired, especially in this down market that we have currently, should they take on a big expense? Maybe it's a once in a lifetime trip around the world that they've been planning and they're like, yeah, I don't really want to pull the money out of my accounts now right? Maybe it's a year or two away, but they're already starting to fund that. So do I want to delay that a couple more years? Is now the right time or not? Mm -hmm. So I think this is a great question because each person's situation is unique, but there are different things that I think happen at different stages in life. Again, we said this in our last episode and it rings true here. Everybody's unique situation makes that decision different. No one shoe fits all. It is so true. And that is why you need to talk to a professional that can really Dig down and dig deep on your individual situation because no two are identical. Where everybody's financial situation, I could joke as a snowflake because here in Detroit, I'm seeing the first snowflakes of the season today. So, Amy, if there is uh, somebody listening that wants to come talk to you and your team at Thimbleberry Financial, how do they best find you? They can reach us online at thimbleberryfinancial.com or give us a call 503-610-6510. Good stuff as always, Amy. We'll talk again soon. Sounds great, Jay. Talk to you then. Registered representative, securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisor representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge and Thimbleberry Financial are not affiliated.